I meet a lot of people, yeah, it's been for years, in fact, even before I started ministry some 35 years ago, a lot of people who have questions about Christianity. It's not so much that they're anti-against Christianity, although some are, but there are people who say something like this. They say, Pastor Jim, my life is, is kind of messed up right now, and I always thought I could find what I'm looking for in this world in myself or in other people. Uh, but I think God has been trying to get my attention. I think Jesus has been trying to, to draw me to him because I, I, I do recognize there surely must be a higher power in this world. But I have a lot of questions about Jesus. I, I have a lot of questions about Christianity. And these are the kind of questions I'll normally that come my way, and surely many of you have had these questions as well. Like, why do, why do Christians make Jesus such a big deal? I know Christ is in the name Christianity, but there are a lot of religious God types in the world. Why is it that Christians only point to Jesus Christ as, as the only Savior of the world? And why would they do that? And, and what about this, this thing called the Bible or, or the Gospels, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news? I understand that it, it's good news, but there are many Gospels in the world. And what makes Christians think that the Bible and the Gospel that we find in the Bible is the only true Gospel? <laughs> that it alone is the only true Word of God. And they'll say something like, you know, Pastor Jim, it sometimes bother, bothers me that Christians think that only they have uh, a hold exclusively of the only truth. Anybody ever ask you that question? Why do they think they have the truth exclusively and no one else in the world has the right truth? And then I hear this one a lot and, and even a lot lately. Pastor Jim... Can't Christians be more tolerant? Can't they be more accepting and accommodating to other religions? You know, they would get along a lot better with people if they would just accept the fact that people have different beliefs. And that whether they believe in Jesus, whether they believe in, in another God or another means of salvation, they would be a lot better off if they would just be more tolerant toward other religions and they would be received much better than what they are. And... Frankly, um, they should be more tolerant. Why so intolerant? Maybe these are some of the questions that someone listening this morning or sitting here this morning or someone you may have been in conversation with us having. A lot of whys about Christianity and Jesus. Um, which is why I want to invite you this morning on a little journey with me through the book of Colossians. Um, that's a powerful book. I've been studying it now for about the last six weeks. You know, all about the supremacy of Christ and Jesus is all we need. And I need you to listen very closely, as I trust you do every week anyway, as we begin this series, because we're going to go through this book and we're going to find that constant theme of Jesus is a big deal. Jesus is supreme above all other gods, above all other anything. And that Jesus is indeed all we need. Because I'm sure even some of you as Christians at some time of your life may have said something like, 
what if I got it wrong? What if following Jesus isn't the right way and I'm not going to go to heaven someday because I was always taught and believed that Jesus was the only way. What if I got it wrong? I trust that going through this series, those questions will be answered. And I trust as we go through the book of Colossians, we'll discover together how Jesus indeed is all we need and nothing more. So to begin this series, and kind of introductory material as well, we're going to turn to Colossians 1. Uh, this, this is one of the few churches that Paul did not plant where he sends a letter. Now, most believe it probably was Epaphras, and we find his name at the, uh, in chapter 1 and, and uh, elsewhere, I believe, in this book as well. Uh, he, he was kind of trained by Paul a little bit, a friend of Paul, but Epaphras was the one who probably planted it. But Paul heard there was a bunch of stuff going on, often called the Colossian heresy. False teachers, false doctrines. And Paul says, hey, i got to step into this and teach them why Jesus is indeed is who he says he is. And so Paul writes, as verse 1 tells us, as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, note, to God's holy people. In other words, it's not only for the church in Colossae, but it's for people like you and me or those who claim to be Christians today. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Then he gives this section of thanksgiving and prayer. We're going to look at the first half of that prayer this morning, and Lord willing, next Sunday we'll be looking at the second part of this prayer. And this is what Paul writes. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You've learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who told us, of your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you notice as I read these verses, especially verse 3, did you notice that Paul identifies right away two marks, two great virtues that should be evident in every church that calls itself a Christian church? Two virtues. The first one he speaks about is Faith, this, this genuine faith that he saw the church had in Jesus Christ. And when we talk about faith, it simply is, what does the Bible say faith is? The assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And as we talk about faith, we, we, we talk about where faith has to be pointed and centered in. And it's always in Christ. A theme song I'd mentioned to Kyle throughout this series will be in Christ alone. He's going to be talking about faith that people have in Jesus Christ. Christ, the kind of faith where he says, for God so loved the world, he gave his son, that whoever believes in him will not die, but have eternal life. The kind of faith that uh, Paul writes and uh, Luke writes in Acts 4, verse 12, where he says salvation is found in no other. The kind of faith where Paul writes in Romans 10, verse 13, where he says, if you confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Christ and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. All these in scripture pointing to, there is only one way to be saved. When you talk about faith, it's faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Paul says, listen to the Christians in Colossae. He says, I give thanks to God as he prays. And I am thankful to God that this faith lives in you. And we should give thanks as well. I give thanks. We should give thanks here that this faith as well lives here at Community Church. How, how do you test if a church that calls itself a Christian church truly is a church of Christ? One thing that needs to absolutely be evident is the faith in Christ, a faith that believes and is rich. That's why we give thanks to God this morning when, when Maddie Wilson professes her faith. She's professing a faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. We give thanks to God that that message still goes out and that so many here this morning, those listening in online as well in the cafe, have made a decision that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their only Lord and Savior. Paul says, I thank God for that. Notice then he goes on and, and he talks about this love that they have for each other. And this is really, uh, this, the word is agape, which a lot of us are familiar with. That's that really highest kind of love that you ever could have. It's not a selfish love. It's always an other-centered kind of love. And it's the kind of love that should be evident in every Christian church of Christ. It's this kind of love. And this is, uh, Paul wrote about this, of course, when he, when he wrote to the church in Corinth. Listen to what kind of love this is. 1 Corinthians 13, some words. This kind of love is patient. This kind of love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This kind of love never fails. Paul says, I see, I see and hear about this kind of love in Colossae. You're loving each other this way. And we as well can thank God. I've been here five, six years, I don't know, right in there someplace. That, that love of God is so evident here in so many of you. This is a Christian church. If you're here for the first time, you need to understand, this is a Christian church, and the people in this congregation know how to love each other. This kind of love. And that just it simply means it's how we speak to and of each other. It means how we act towards each other. It means all of these, these things of love talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. Are we there yet? Perfectly loving each other? No. But we're on the road to that kind of love. Paul says, I thank God that the church in Colossae had this kind of love. And we can thank God this morning that this love is visible here as well at community. Now, someone may ask and say, well, where does this kind of faith and love come from? Did it just kind of appear out of nowhere, or, or, or how is it developed in us? And Paul answers that own question when he says in verse 5, he says, listen, it springs from the hope that we have in Christ. Now, just that triad, faith, hope, and love, we find different places in the scripture. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, you know, the greatest of these is love. But here he's kind of saying the greatest of these is hope. He says, if you cling to the hope that we have, that heaven is our home, we look ahead and we know it's coming, right? 
We know it's coming. We await the glorious beauty of heaven and, and eternity. He says, listen, knowing what is coming, you can now live in faith and love with each other. It spurs us on because we know what lies ahead. That's powerful. It springs from the hope. I think we're going to be singing in a few moments, hope springs eternal. That's exactly what it does. When you have that kind of hope in Christ, you can live with the faith and the love that you have in Christ. Paul says this is the message of the true gospel. And it's a, that's a really a key word and point in this, in this whole book is understanding when he says the word true or truth. This is the true gospels, which, of course, implies what? <laughs> that there's a false gospel and false gospels going around. And, and he lists, uh, as he writes, surely he has in mind, because we're well aware of some of the false doctrines, or others may call them heresies that existed in the church in Colossae. There is this thing going on about Jesus that Jesus is not enough. Now, it's not that Christians in this church were denying who Jesus was, but there were false prophets, teachers, teaching them saying, yeah, we believe in Jesus too, but if you really want to be saved, you've got to add more to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a good start. You're well on your way. But if you want to go to heaven someday, there are some other things you need to believe as well. In other words, Jesus is not enough for you to go to heaven. Part of this was, of course, uh, was the, the, the Jews that, that actually were among this congregation as well, and the Jews who lived in the city. They still were clinging to the Old Testament ceremonial laws. And you had to follow certain rituals and believe certain things regarding Mosaic laws. Jesus, yes, to be saved, but also we've got to put the law in there. And if you have Jesus plus the good works that you have in the law, you can be saved. Paul says, no. No. Now, you obey the law, but not as a means of being saved, but it's a means of gratitude and thanksgiving. There was also in the city, I understand, uh, what's called oriental mysticism. And this is all subjective belief. That they, that they base their belief on what they feel and experience in life. And in other words, your, your truth can change because when you talk about subjectivism and feelings and, and living through experience, your experience might be good one day and not so good the next day. There was also what's called Greek asceticism where uh, they, they went to the extreme of avoiding every type of pleasure and indulgence, stripping away from themselves any pleasures that God even gave them. And they said, yeah, Jesus is okay, and it's important to him as Lord and Savior. But in order to do that, you have to live with, with this extreme type of asceticism. And if you have that too, then you are saved. But the biggie, really, of all of these is what was called Gnosticism. And this is there's a special knowledge. They said, Jesus is not quite enough, almost. But we've been given a special knowledge that God has only given to us. And so listen to what we have to offer you. So Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, plus this special knowledge that only some of us have that you need to get. And if you get that special knowledge as well, you can be saved. Paul says, no, 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 no. When it comes to Christ and when it comes to the gospel, Jesus is enough. Christ is enough. If you want to go to heaven someday, all that you need to believe is that Jesus Christ died for you. Cross, resurrection. And now you live for him. You don't have to add anything to it. 
No other kind of special knowledge, no other laws that you have to obey to get into heaven or the like. No a certain style of living that the way you live is going to get you there. Jesus is all you need. Well, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, Jesus is all you need. One author put it this way, and I love it. Christ plus nothing equals everything. Isn't that powerful? Christ plus nothing equals everything. The supremacy of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is all you need. Now, when I just started taking this in over the past several weeks, I'm kind of going, wow. Wow. You know, it's a good thing we don't have those problems in our society today. Uh, it's a good thing that, that everybody understands and has it right that it's Jesus Christ alone. Or maybe we don't quite have it all together either. At least we might, but somebody else may not when it comes to Christianity and the message of Christianity. Because some 2,000 years later, it's obvious to us, it doesn't matter what generation it is, even though it's 2,000 years later, bits and pieces of all of these other false religions that Paul was facing are still in our culture today. You need to understand that. Sometimes it comes with different forms and different fashions and different names. But these same false teachers and teachings are still heavily at work in today. In other words, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is still under attack. And let's just say it, it will be under attack until he comes again. Let me throw out a couple types of false religions that some of us are very much aware of, this thing called pluralism. Sure, Jesus is one way to get to heaven. But there are other ways to get to heaven, and we have to be more respectful of other religions who think they can get to heaven by doing this, that, or the other thing. Pluralism says, no, there are many roads that lead to God. Choose the one that best suits you, and you will find your way to heaven. You think that's a false teaching? Paul in Colossians is going to say time and again, no, there are not many roads to get to heaven. If you want to be saved someday from your sins, you've got to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then there's this false religion called relativism. And what that simply means is you guys might talk about the true gospel of Jesus Christ, but you know what? It might be true to you, but not true to me. So let's all just get along and everybody can have their own truth. What's true to you is true to you. What's true to you is true to you. And what's true is true to you. Christians, if that's what your truth is, fine. But everybody decides for themselves what their truth is. Relativism. Pastor Mark and I, some, yeah, it could have been a year or more ago that we had a, a lesson in the cafe about the new apostolic reformation. And it sounds really good. Like, wow, this is something we've got to get a hold of. And I, I understand. I don't think it's really hit us yet. But it's, it's one of the fastest growing false teachings in the United States. Kind of underground yet. And these are people who are saying, yeah, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Uh, Jesus is supreme and all the like. But you know what? God has anointed us some 400 prophets with a special knowledge. Oh, does that sound familiar? Maybe like Gnosticism? And another form. God has anointed us with a special knowledge. And in order for you to be saved, you need to receive this special knowledge from us. In other words, the Bible isn't all that you need either. These are added revelations that God has given to us. New apostolic reformation. False teaching. Colossians is going to teach us. Jesus is all you need. You don't need any other special knowledge. God has given us the knowledge and the, all the knowledge that we need to be saved. I dated a girl once, oh, 
long time ago, hopefully. I've been married 35 years. It better be a long time ago. <laughs> she was a, a, a Christian, a, what I thought was a good Christian person. And we dated for a little while. And on our fourth or fifth or sixth date, she started bringing up astrology. She would ha- start handing me these books on astrology. And I'm thinking, and, and I'm at seminary, not just before seminary. It's like, what's this all about? Oh, she goes, I'm a Christian, and, and I, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But you know what? I, I turn to astrology as well because there's good stuff in here. And I read my horoscope every week kind of thing. And, and I'm like, I won't say her name. I don't need this. Jesus is enough. Well, why do we even dabble? And maybe some of you here dabble in astrology. Be careful. You don't need Jesus plus astrology. <laughs> Jesus is all you need in understanding the truth of the gospel. But there are so many false teachings that say you need something more. Jesus is not enough. Oh, and they would say this as well today, as, as we heard earlier in, as in my introduction. You know, Christians, we would respect you a little bit more if you were just more tolerant and accepting and accommodating of other people's gospels. What makes you think that you have the truth and hold only to the exclusive truth of God's word? What gives you the right to say that only Christianity is the only true religion? Times have changed. That's what people are telling us. At times have changed. There are certain things you may have believed some time ago because that's what you were taught. But it's time to get with the program and to get with the 21st century. When times change, how you view Jesus changes and how you view religion changes as well. And those of you who call yourself Christians, you better get with the program and be more accommodating. Some of you are very well aware of a month from now, our synod, which is the church's highest decision-making body, is going to be taking up what's called the Human Sexuality Report. It's a long report. You can punch it in on Google and find it and read it if you wish. And it again will be addressing all the matters of human sexuality within our culture, including things like same-sex marriage and gender identity. Two big things that will be coming to the floor of synod. And there's a group, you need to be aware of, there's a, there's a group of so-called Christians who call themselves all one body. Anybody hear about it? All one body. And some of these were people who are coming out of our church denomination. And this is, this is how they're talking. And I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. This is the quote that I got from one of these people. They'll say, yeah, well, when it comes to matters of, of same-sex marriage and when it comes to matter of gender identity, male, female, or whatever you want to call yourself, there's something that you need to understand. And this is what, quote, I'm quoting now someone who said this. When you go to the floor of synod, we should not use the scriptures as a means to debate this matter. Rather, we want you to talk to people who are living in a certain way in their lifestyle, good Christian people who are living that lifestyle, hear their story, and we are convinced, now notice, this is experience, and you'll become convinced what we believe. In other words, base what you consider truth to be on your experience, not on what's absolute truth or the standard for truth, objective truth. Think about if we start moving in that direction with our theology, who in, who in the world would dare to think that we base our theology on subjective truth, on, on what we experience in this life? Oh, well, now that I heard your story, I'm a little more sympathetic, and I guess it's okay. We've known from day one 
as we go through God's word, the only source of truth is absolute truth, objective truth in God as we find in his word. Are we subjectively related to Christ? Absolutely, because we experience him in our lives. But that has nothing to do with what we consider to be absolute truth. Truth is not subjective. This is where there's going to be problems. And maybe someone's here having problems with that. Truth is never subjective. Truth is objective in the person of God. They're going to be debating these matters on, on the floor of Synod next month. And um, I just keep thinking over and over again, since when have we started seeking truth in our subjective experience? That's what was going on in Colossae as well. Somebody said, I, I, I'd like this phrase as well. I don't want to claim it as my own. We must never sacrifice biblical truth at the altar of tolerance. That's powerful. We must never sacrifice biblical truth at the altar of tolerance or at the altar of we can all just get along and believe a little differently on this matter. No, never, never. And good news is, as part of Class of Atlanta, <clears throat> excuse me, which this church is a part of, we have good, godly, strong, powerful, vocal Guys who know how to talk coming, pastors from our classes, who will be defending this report because this report is a very good report. It's biblical. In fact, it's still following the parameters of 1973, which probably a lot of us aren't aware of. And we're standing up and saying, no, there's objective truth, biblical truth, and we are not going to be swayed by culture. This is the big deal. We are not going to be swayed the way culture thinks because culture says Christ plus. Now, that being said, Paul, Paul kind of takes a breath as he closes this section of his prayer, and he simply says, so what about this true gospel? Is it effective at all? Uh, Pastor Jim, make me, make me believe that this is really the only true gospel and that, the, that this, this gospel is powerful and that it's active and it's working. In other words, are people coming to Christ because of this gospel? That, that's really how to answer that question. And this is what... Paul says, he says, listen, the true gospel is still bearing fruit. It's bearing fruit. In other words, Paul says, listen, church in Colossae first. People are coming to Christ because of this gospel. They're running to him. Oh, the church in Colossae was probably just a house church. You know what that is? It, it might be a group of 15, 20, 30 people. But people were coming and more and more being added to this house church one by one. People were coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lives were being transformed by Christ in Colossae because of this gospel, not because of the other. And praise God, we see the same thing still happening today. Christian churches, community church. Sometimes they come in groves, sometimes things slow down. But as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which you will always hear from this pulpit, I trust, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, it will prick the ears and the hearts and the consciences of people. And there will be challenged to say, do you really believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And maybe your life is just not going quite the way you wanted it. And maybe there's stuff going on in your life which, which just aren't the way you want to go either. And you're just getting confused about religion as a whole. People are coming to Christ in this community. People are accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as our vision statement says, there's lives that are being transformed and they continue to be transformed. Maddie Wilson coming forward. 
her life hasn't been 100% the happiest days in my life kind of life. But God has drawn her to this place where she knows I need a higher power. I can't handle this life on my own. And her life is being transformed by Christ. I like the way Paul ends this section of this prayer where he says, listen, all things considered and being said, he said, there's something you need to understand in verse 6. And that's simply understanding God's grace. Because ah, that's what it's all about. I think a couple of songs we sang had that, that grace factor in. Uh, God's amazing grace. Understanding grace. And what that means is simply this. For, for anyone who, haven't, who hasn't tasted it and, and, and is living in that grace, it simply means this. This is why it's so amazing. <clears throat> if you're listening this morning and you're struggling with, uh, I need a, something stronger, stronger power in my life. I don't know what it is, but I'm searching for it. He says, but you know what? I don't know, I don't know if I'm the kind of person that God would accept. Oh, my life's been a mess. I messed up. I didn't realize it till of late, but am I the kind of person Jesus would accept? Huh? Right? Would he accept the likes of me? Understanding God's grace, and this is what understanding God's grace means. It doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter what family you were brought into. It doesn't matter the kind of life you lived up to this point. It doesn't matter. Oh, it matters. But those aren't factors that God puts in place in order whether or not he wants to receive you as his child. Understanding grace is undeserved favor. Listen, if you're, if you're listening and wondering if God would accept the likes of you, there's not a person sitting here this morning who deserves to be a child of God. That's what you need to understand. Don't compare yourself with other people. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God says to anyone, this is the true gospel that doesn't change. God says to anyone, understand the supremacy of Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ is all you need. And if you come to him in repentance and faith, guess what you get? A salvation that says, and now I'll start giving you some of this fruit as well. And you can experience what genuine faith is. And you can experience what real love is. And you can have the same hope that so many of us here have this morning. The hope of what's coming when Jesus returns. Of, of the new heaven and the new earth. An eternal hope. Which spurs on this faith and this love that God has given to us. The true gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Plus nothing equals everything. Wow. And you know what? If you go through this book together, it even gets better. And we'll understand it, I trust. Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, thank you that we could bring this message this morning because there's uh, just so many things we can struggle with at times with, with all the false religions and false teachers that exist in this world. And it confuses us. Even as Christians, it uh, just Satan wants to come into our minds and try to say that, that, that we need more than Jesus or somebody else than Jesus. Help us, Father, as we go through this series to understand that we will always face false teachings and false prophets and that the scriptures will always be challenged. Help us to, to cling to the truth of your word objectively and that our truth is always based on you and your word. Forgive us when we can just just kind of go down that slippery slope of beginning to believe things because of what we experience. Help us always to find our truth in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And may we hold to it, despite where our culture is going. In Jesus' name, everyone say, amen. <laughs>